Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. I have taken on the challenge and really enjoyed it, but it is like if you're not getting the parts that you want or would love to be considered for it, I do think it's up to you to make it. Welcome, listeners. Yes, it is still 2020. And no, I have not had a haircut since March. I am your host, Jack Smart, as always, uh, for another episode of In the Envelope, the actress podcast from Backstage. Do you know, um, in this week's issue of Backstage.com, in print, uh, we have the fabulous Tony Collette on our cover this week. And inside the magazine, we have a Backstage 5 with friend of the podcast, Carrie Kuhn, a feature on Michael Rainey Jr. from Power. Um, also on the slate this week, I mean, recently on the slate, it's been amazing. We featured the casting directors from Unbelievable. We featured Hannah Gadsby, the great stand-up comedian. Emmy nominees Dylan McDermott and Samira Wiley and the Minds Behind What We Do in the Shadows. If you go to our YouTube page, you can see videos for a lot of these, including uh, Maisie Williams talked about her Game of Thrones audition. That's a great one. In addition, we have covered a lot about film festivals, which shout out to my own pieces on Backstage uh, that kind of cover what is going on with the festival and award season going forward, given our global pandemic. And it's uh, very seismic and still very uncertain effects on uh, the industry. Um, It seems that the Emmy Awards, which are happening September 20th, are indeed adapting to an entirely remote format for the ceremony. I'm very excited and very curious to um, see how that turns out. On a related note, today's guest, the voice you just heard, is that of A.D. Bryant, a previous Emmy nominee for her work on Saturday Night Live. She joined us on the podcast not too long after lockdown, where we were, we talked about SNL, of course. There's plenty of amazing writing and acting advice in this very lovely interview. Um, we also talked about Shrill, which is her Hulu comedy that she stars on, executive produces, and writes on. AD is sort of the dream podcast guest. She is sort of perfectly attuned to exactly what this podcast does, which is reveal, you know, her artistic process, her inspirations, how she does this and does that. She does do a lot of the different hats that we've heard about on this podcast from actor-writer types many times before. And she's the nicest, like the nicest. As you will soon hear, uh, we will link to her other features in Backstage. Do just check out Backstage.com. If you are subscribed to Backstage, look in your mailbox for this week's issue. And um, keep hanging in there, listeners. I know I am. And uh, 
it's nice to have these podcast episodes every week with these fabulous entertainers and artists that, I mean, frankly, people like A.D. Bryant are welcome in these times, in these times of crisis that I think much of 2020 has sort of been. A.D. Bryant is sort of a perfect example of someone who can help you just escape and laugh, even if it's for a three-minute SNL sketch. I'm just so excited to see where her work goes from here. So without further ado, let's get to today's episode. Thank you for joining us, and uh, let's take a quick break and get to it. This podcast is, of course, brought to you, listeners, by Backstage. Listen, aside from all the great inspiration and tips and all of that stuff we offer for free, like this amazing podcast, Backstage also gives you access to incredible casting calls all over the world. That is why it's the world's number one casting platform. If you're curious or if you're an actor yourself and you really want to jumpstart your career and you're ready to take the advice and the inspiration you've heard here in this very episode and use it, go to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code ENVELOPE. E-N-V-E-L-O-P-E. That's, again, 30 days completely free to try backstage where you can make a profile, upload a headshot, upload a reel, start browsing the casting notices, and start applying to jobs because who knows, maybe one day I'll be interviewing you. Again, that's backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code ENVELOPE. Trained at Chicago's Second City, A.D. Bryant is a triple threat of writing, acting, and comedy. Since 2012, she's been stealing the show every week as a cast member on NBC's Saturday Night Live, which has earned her two Primetime Emmy nominations. A.D. has appeared on Girls, Horace and Pete, and Danger and Eggs, and writes, executive produces, and stars on the Hulu comedy Shrill, adapted from Lindy West's book, which has been renewed for a third season. Here is the lovely A.D. Bryant. Hi, Adie. How are Hi. You? Good. This is freaky deaky. Cool. <laughs> it's freaky deaky, right? Are you um have you done any like press since this all this since this crisis kept us all indoors and um not much. I I yeah, maybe a little tiny bit just like some phone interviews, but this is this is very fancy. Oh good. Oh fancy. Okay, good. Well, it doesn't feel fancy. I'm sitting here on my my couch. Um <laughs> so <laughs> It's so nice to connect with you. Thank you for taking the time. We, um, I'm such a huge fan. Backstage is such a huge fan of yours. Oh, thanks. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah, totally. This podcast is all about, you know, the craft and career advice. And we love writer actors. Yeah. We love comedians, of course. I know you spoke to us recently, but um, yeah, I would actually love to just, I would love to ask you about <laughs> kind of the elephant in the room. Like what's... Uh, like, how are you these days and what is going on? And I understand you guys are still working over at SNL. You guys just did a, a Zoom episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's sad times, scary times. Yeah. Um, and I'm in New York and, you know, I can definitely just like feel that the city is hurting. So that's been really on my mind. Mm. Um but, you know, I'm very lucky. I'm healthy. My husband's lucky. Um, and we're just cooking and staying inside. Um, but definitely I was, you know, I don't know when I first started getting phone calls about like, okay, we're going to try and do an SNL episode from home. I think at that point I was a little like, 
no, I'm too sad and scared and how, yeah. and you know, whatever, <laughs> but, uh, nothing felt that funny. But once we started working on it, I was really grateful for it. And it really was great to see my coworkers and it was just like such a mood lifter, you know? And has it been kind of, I mean, there's a boredom factor here too. There's like a staying safe is one, one thing, but we're all finding that staying sane is another, like, is it helpful to have maybe some work to structure your day? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I would say for the first couple weeks of being in quarantine, I guess I was definitely much more like just kind of depressed and like kind of mourning for what's going on. And, and I think having some, you know, zoom meetings and SNL stuff going on and now shrill stuff going on. It's like, it's just nice to have a reason to, you know, brush my hair and put on a bra and live a day <laughs> yes. a little bit. Yeah. Totally. Totally. It's super. Yeah. It's super important. Maintaining some sense of normalcy, I suppose. Yeah. But um, are you also, are you working on anything long-term? Is there like, you're certainly not working on Shrill season three, but has there been any like writing or working with scene partners or how are you staying engaged as a performer? Yeah, we, we are working on season three. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. We've kind of, I guess, let's see, Monday, our writer's room will start via zoom. Um, and you know, just the weeks leading up to that are us kind of planning like, all right, how are we going to approach the season? What do we need to think about? And, you know, how are we going to structure this new world of, uh, of a writer's room via computer, (laughs) you Mm. know, and, Mm -hmm. and make it as, um, you know, kind of as manageable and humane as possible. (laughs) So, you know, rather than being like, okay, we're all going to be at our computers from nine to five or something. It just doesn't feel, uh, creative or good, (laughs) you know? Oh yeah. I guess a writer's room does kind of require a little bit like the in-person factor is important there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, to me, the writer's room is like the most <laughs> thrilling and fun part of, uh, oh, of cool. making something. And it's so, uh, you know, it's just about getting close with these people and sharing ideas and bouncing off each other. And so, yeah, I think it's going to mm. be a challenge to, to not be in the room together, but you know, we're really lucky. We pretty much, I think we only have returning writers. So there's already a relationship there and a rhythm and an understanding of the show. So yeah, I'm just excited to see them every day too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's new territory. Yeah. Uh, I'm so excited to ask you about this whole, just your whole process, because there's, you've spoken about this before where writing and acting, they're not necessarily two different hats, but I imagine that for a show like this, that where you're also executive producing, which I want to ask you about, like, is so much of your writing process putting yourself in the shoes of the character and maybe even speaking lines of dialogue aloud and testing stuff out? Yes and no. I mean, it's funny because I do feel like sometimes if I'm pitching an idea to the writer's room, like, you know, and maybe it's an emotional idea or kind of like a, like a physical bit, like I kind of can't help myself from like half being like, it could be like this, you know? And then, uh, (laughs) But, but, you know, I also feel like a lot of the writers do that too. And so it's a nice mix. Um, but definitely when I'm writing, I find myself speaking my dialogue out or like other characters dialogue, my dialogue out loud a lot, just, um, Mm -hmm. almost like do like a mouth feel check, you know, uh, make sure it doesn't feel clunky and kind of feels like something someone would actually say. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. 
it has to be poetic, I suppose, <laughs> spoken aloud. <laughs> I don't know if it's poetic or if I more look deranged. <laughs> deranged. Sure. Well, and was this all, I, I mean, take me back. So your, your beginnings, I mean, we, we always like to ask too, like, how did you get bit by the bug? How were you first inspired <laughs> to kind of join the performing arts? This was, was this elementary school? Was it high school? Um, you know, it was probably middle school times. Um, mm-hmm. I did, you know, I, I think I just randomly sort of ended up doing like some kind of like through my school or something, some kinds of like little day camp, like acting camps, you know? Mm, um, and I just thought they were fun, you know, and I liked being goofy or singing or, you know, doing little skits, true skits, not sketches, (laughs) you know? And, um, yeah, I think so. I think a skit is like the thing you do in your high school gym and a sketch is something you like write and try and put up. But, um, but I don't know, you know, so that that was like kind of where I first started. But then I kind of took a more serious like acting camp kind of thing at the UC Berkeley. And um, and yeah, there was like sort of an improv unit in that. Uh, and I think pretty quickly I was like, oh, well, I like this better than I like like trying to say Tennessee Williams or something like I want to oh. <laughs> just I like to just not have to memorize and just say whatever I want. <laughs> Um, so laziness, I guess. Um, (laughs) but, but then, so then when I, you know, then in Phoenix, I found like a little teen improv troupe and one of my teachers there had, uh, taken classes at IO Chicago and told me about that. And so when I was kind of looking to try and go to college, I, I, I really wanted to get to Chicago and try and get involved at these places like Improv Olympic and Second City and The Annoyance, which are kind of known for writing their mm-hmm. own material, um, improvising to write and and those kinds of things. And so that's kind of exactly what happened. So cool. So that, yeah, it was improv that was the main light bulb that went off. Yeah. And I think, you know, at least for me, like, I don't know, even as a teen or into my early 20s, I was like, well, I'm not a writer. I, I can improvise, but I don't know how to write. And then I think pretty quickly I was like, oh, well, it's kind of just improvising with yourself in multiple characters, but like (laughs) sitting at a computer. And, and then I was like, oh, well, actually this is fun, you know? And so at least for me, like improvising was kind of my entry point into being like, okay, well now what if I think about structure and now what if I think about this character long-term and, and some of those things. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, starting an improv at, at, in Chicago is like so great because they're famous for doing this form of improv called long form improv, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of about trying to create like a piece of theater rather than just like games and quick little jokes. And, um, and so that was, you know, for me, that was kind of the best of both worlds where it was like, there was some acting there, you know, and there was some emotion and there were also jokes and I could make it up, (laughs) you know? So, right. So yeah, the the improv, it's almost like you you were then bridged in your training from improv into something more like, it, I guess it really is theatery. It's like stage acting. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, I think it's not everywhere and it's a very like particular, like it's literally like Chicago style improv, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but I was really lucky to do some shows there that I think were really formative for me. 
And at what point was this like, did, was there also a shift into like, oh, I want to do this for fun into like, oh, I want to do this as a career. I could do this as a career. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I think I didn't really know how to do it as a career. And I thought maybe I would like teach or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but then when I got to Chicago and I really started doing shows around the city, I, you know, and I, I don't even think I really had an understanding of like, oh, some people from Chicago end up on SNL or like, you know, those kinds of things. It was more mm-hmm. like, I was just like, oh, I really love this form of theater and I could teach this here in Chicago or I could, I don't know. I, I really, Chicago kind of opened up my whole world of like, oh, there's professionals that do this and this is how they make their living. And so, so you know, cool. kind of while I was in college, I started doing some paid shows, not much. I actually just found a receipt recently that was like a $10 oh. payment for a show. Um, and <laughs> I was like, days. had counted them up and tallied them up. Yes, exactly. So, you know, I mean, but for me, that was like so thrilling. I was like, Oh, I did five shows. I made $50. So. Yeah. Those are the exactly, that's exactly the kind of period that we, you know, a lot of our listeners are early career. They're in that phase of the Maybe they're making money off of gigs. Hopefully they're making money off of gigs. Yeah, totally. Were you just full of optimism? And (laughs) did you have realistic expectations about the biz at that point? You know, I think I was probably actually full of skepticism. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Because I I think in some way I was like, well, I'm never going to be like on TV or like a professional. I'll stay here and kind of do my thing or whatever. And, um, you know, I definitely... I love to write and I love to work. Um, and so that to me was enough. Like I really was like, I would kind of do this for free. Like this is fun. And the fact that I'm getting paid just feels like a huge like trick that I pulled on someone, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Would you ever, was there ever a plan B? Like if, if you weren't on this path at all, had you ever considered doing anything else? Um, Definitely. I mean, I, I really did consider being a teacher and mm-hmm. I think I kind of had in my mind, you know, cause I went to Chicago to go to school and then while I was there, I sort of was like, okay, after I graduate, I'm going to give myself five years to try and do this kind of, you know? Okay. Um, yeah which is like a totally made up amount of time, (laughs) but I was just like, yeah, that feels reasonable to me, I guess. Um, and then I was really lucky where like, because I had been performing in and around Chicago as like a somewhat professional, even while I was in school, kind of right when I graduated school, I got hired by second city, Mm -hmm. which was, you know, a really nice, like actual paying steady job that was, mm-hmm. you know, comedy in, in Chicago. And so that was like kind of a big deal for me where I was like, oh, wow, I now can um, afford a car payment, <laughs> you know, and stuff sure. like that. So that was pretty massive for me. Yeah. And of course, in, in the comedy world, is it safe to say too, like that was also your social life, like Second City and the, certainly the Chicago comedy scene is all very community based, right? Yeah, completely. I mean, it's funny because I kind of feel like my whole world has like its roots in Chicago where, you know, 
I, my, one of my good friends was Vanessa Bayer. And then when I got to second Mm city or get to SNL, it was like, okay, we know each other from Chicago, you know, or (laughs) my husband, I met in the Chicago improv scene and, um, Mm. and many of our friends who now work, you know, in LA or New York or wherever. And, and a lot of people I cast on shrill are (laughs) people that I knew either peripherally from second city or, um, or were people I came up with. So. That's so cool. Oh, I want to ask you, I got to ask you about Trill, but first, I mean, taking us, I'm taking you through the the life story part of this. Cause like, totally, I love obviously, it. <laughs> obviously we love to know anything. I mean, we just love to hear about people getting onto SNL. I think a lot of listeners, of course, aspiring comedians want to know how to get cast on that show. Yeah. So I'm not going to ask you like, how to get, how do you get cast on SNL? But <laughs> What do you remember about your experience? Like how many auditions did you go to? What do you, what do you remember about that process? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, it's funny because I feel like, again, like I had sort of just like a lucky break, um, Mm -hmm. which was, I was performing at second city and I was doing, you know, they have these sort of like resident company shows there that, um, that you write yourself with your ensemble and then you perform it for sometimes six months to a year. And then you write a new show and you perform the new show for six months to a year. So that was kind of my job at second city. And, um, you know, it was my second show that I had written at second city. So I was kind of feeling more comfortable, kind of flexing, (laughs) flexing a little bit, spreading my wings. Um, and I had a really nice show that I had written for, you know, with my friends and, um, And it just so happened that like the week after we opened Lauren Michaels and some of the producers and a couple writers came to watch that show. And, um, and they like, uh, you know, periodically go to Chicago to just kind of scout talent and they go to second city and they go to a couple other places. And, and so they came and watched this show and, you know, it was just like such a privilege because I think a lot of people who do showcases or send in a tape, it's like, you know, maybe four to five minutes of, what you are trying to convey you are as a performer. And I was really lucky. They watched a two hour show where I had some pieces that were really like mine, you know, and that I was proud of. And, and so, yeah. So after they saw that, then they asked me to do five minutes of material in New York, kind of based on the things that they had seen in Chicago. So to retool those pieces to be solo pieces. And so that's exactly what I did. And then you know, I mean, it was probably a period of like a month and I flew back and forth between Chicago and New York four times. Um, and it was like kind of fast and furious where it was like, I did that five minutes from that show and I flew back to Chicago. Then they flew me back to New York and they just, I just had a meeting with like Seth Meyers and some of the other producers. Mm. And then I flew back to Chicago and the whole time I was like, I have no idea what's going on. Then they asked me to do another five minutes of new material that I could write just for the audition. So I did that, flew back, did that audition, (laughs) then flew back for one final meeting with Lorne. And, and that was, yeah, pretty much when I got hired. So it, it was a long process and I would say maybe even more so than being on the show, that was the hardest part. <laughs> it oh was gosh, just yeah. so nerve wracking. And, um, you know, you want to, I don't know, at least for me, kind of the thing that I kept telling myself is like, write what you like and mm. perform what you like, because if you do get hired, that's what you know how to do. And if you don't get hired, at least you did <laughs> what you love. You know what I mean? You didn't Absolutely. try to 
bend yourself into a pretzel to be something you think they want. Just be yourself, do what you like and hold, hold strong on that. And it really was like kind of my guiding light, even when I got hired for the show, because I was like, mm-hmm. you know what? When I was struggling, I was like, you were hired for doing the stuff that you like to do. So just that, let that be your focus. Mm. And the other stuff will come, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually such amazing audition advice because it's, I mean, SNL is not quite a typical audition because you do have the ability to sometimes write your own material, but for sure, write what you know, because <laughs> then at yeah. least you're, you're coming from that place, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Gosh. And were you like allowing yourself to believe that you could get it? Like you mentioned it was so nerve wracking. Like what was going through your head flying back and forth four times? You know, it really was, um, it was hard. <laughs> it was really scary because it was, you kind of feel like, oh, wow, like, do I really dream about what this could be? Or do mm. I kind of stay in reality, which is like, you know, I'm living in a tiny apartment with my boyfriend and like, what, what is our world going to be? Um, <laughs> but, but it was, I, you know, I don't know. It was also very exciting. And for me, at least, you know, I was like from Arizona no contact to the like entertainment industry or performance in any way. And to suddenly uh, not feel like being on TV or being on SNL was outer space, but that it was like, Oh, I'm kind of close to this possibility was <laughs> unfathomable, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Surreal. Yeah. And what have you learned? Like, so you've been on SNL since 2012, I believe. Mm-hmm, yeah. And what would you say, like, you mentioned this idea of you came in and you focused on the stuff that you, that, the writing the stuff that you do know and performing the stuff you do know, like, where have you been challenged and where have you stretched as maybe as a performer? Yeah, well, I think, you know, well, certainly for me, like at SNL, it is, um, you know, SNL is a, is a kind of a train that's been running for 45 years mm-hmm. and I, you know, you kind of hop on board as a new cast member or a new writer and you're like, "Uh Oh, this train is running without me. It doesn't need me to run. (laughs) You know, and I am not going to be like the wheel or the engine here, but I got to figure out where I can be helpful or how I can make it run better, you know? Mm. And so that was kind of like a difficult challenge for me in the beginning because you're like, I know who I am and I know what I like to do, but is that a fit with what this thing needs? And so for me, it was just trying to find the overlap in what works on SNL and what I'm capable of doing. And I think in some ways that's where Shrill fits in too. Cause I was like, Oh, this is uh, maybe tonally more who I am and uh, something that I would like to express, but isn't really exactly a possibility on SNL, if that makes sense. So it's like, totally. you know, it's finding these like corners of who you are as a performer or a writer or uh, producer and, and finding ways to express those. Oh, I love that. Yes. And so that's where Shrill came about. I mean, this was several years into, I mean, first of all, does SNL become like a routine? Like, does it, does it ever become, <laughs> I don't know, like not boring. It's certainly not boring, but does it ever become like your brain is so used to the, to the rigmarole? You know, in some ways, yes, but I find it like routine in a really nice way. And that's something that I think Lauren did structurally in creating the show where like our Monday is always pitch. Our Tuesday is always writing night. Our Mm. Wednesday is always table read Thursday and Friday. We rehearse and rewrite. 
and Saturday we do the show. And so there is a comfort in knowing like, you know, whether I'm thinking about SNL in the seventies or whether I'm thinking about it now, I know what the week looks like, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, That's and amazing. there is a comfort in that. It, there's like a structure to it that kind of lets you focus on the creative details rather than like, how mm. are we going to do it? Um, totally. And yeah. And then I think, you know, when you approach something else that is like, you're building it from the ground up, you have to, you have to fill out those details. Right. And so, so yeah, so several years into this routine, I mean, how did Shrill come about? How, how did this project and how on earth were you doing both? How are you still doing both? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's funny. It was kind of like, an, I don't want to say an accident, but I wasn't like on SNL, be, like looking for new projects or looking right. for like to develop something. Um, it, it was more that sort of, I had read Lindy's book, Shrill, and, mm-hmm. um, and loved it, you know, and really loved it and really just like felt like finally someone had verbalized something that I had felt my whole life and, hmm. and, and, and just with humor and, and with, um, empathy and, and heart and so much thought, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so much of it, I was just like, oh, this is, this is how I felt, or this is why I'm furious, or this is, you know, those are so many mm-hmm. pieces of it. And, and so then I heard that Elizabeth Banks had optioned the book, uh, just literally, like, I think I read a news story, not, not some oh. kind of hot industry tip line. I just saw like a news <laughs> story. Um, and so I called my agents and I was just sort of like, do you know what she's planning to make with that? Is it a movie TV show? What's she going right. to do? Um, cause I love that book and I'm just curious and kind of my agents were like, you know, it's weird that you just called us because we just got off the phone with her production company and they would love for you to work on it. And you're kind of like their first choice. So it was like this serendipitous, like, whoa, kind of moment. That's so Um, weird. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, basically I met with, uh, Elizabeth and we talked about it and, you know, I mean, she was really great because I was pretty clear about like, you know, I don't want to just be an actor on this. I've been writing and producing my own pieces at, gotcha. at SNL. And I think it would be hard for me to not <laughs> be involved. And yeah. and she was like, that's great. We want you to. So it was kind of this perfect, um, perfect little marriage of like, hmm. you know, Lindy also wrote on the, is still writing on the project and is an executive producer with me. And so we work really closely with our showrunner, Allie Rushfield. And you know, it's really, it's a best case scenario. And then, you know, the other nice thing was that I said to Elizabeth, like, I really don't want to do this without Lorne because I want to stay at SNL and he Uh, is totally my mentor and helps me so much. And so, uh, she was really gracious and said, great, let's all team up and do it together. hmm. So yeah, it's been really great. So cool. And, and so if you're front, if you're executive producing and writing from the very beginning, you mentioned, you're involved in casting. You're involved in every step of this. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, all casting decisions come through us and, you know, I watch all the tapes, uh, even the little one line parts, you know, and we, Mm. we were put our heads together. So yeah. And we did screen tests for all of our main cast and, um, you know, definitely it was an odd thing to be on the other side of that. Um, yes. but I also think we tried to make it as humane as possible because <laughs> I've been <laughs> through bad auditions and stuff. So, yep. That's exactly what we like to hear. <laughs> and, and <laughs> yes. it's, it's been said that, yeah, 
going on the other side of the table, especially for the first time, is it must have been such an eye-opening experience for you. Yeah, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I had the thought many times during it where I was like, oh, this feels like a system that was developed in like the 40s or 50s with like big oh. men behind tables. And I always kind of wonder if there would be a different system if we tried to like start from scratch today, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, something totally. that just made it a little more palatable and a little less like <laughs> us and them and a little more friendly. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. The humanity of it is has maybe been lost in just the process. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't thought of that. That of course the audition process was was invented at some point, and maybe yeah, it's it was invented rethink. by like big guys with cigars and snapping their <laughs> suspenders or something. Totally, you know? in this whole Hollywood studio system. Yeah, totally. I'm like, maybe we could do better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, chemistry reads. So you're doing chemistry reads. You, is that also like an exchanging of the? So I'm a, a little bit of a casting director, but then. Are you reading with the potential co-stars as an actor? Yeah, I did. Um, and and that was really telling, too. And it was, mm-hmm. you know, you just can get so much. And, you know, it was interesting. I think the thing that I took away from it the most was, like, you know, there would be three or four people who were all fantastic and could have yeah. all done the part. But there would be one person that was sort of like exactly what we had written for. And so it was like, well, then it's that person, of course. And that part was hard for me to face kind of because I I was just like, these other people are fantastic. You know, there's no reason they shouldn't be hired. Uh, Other Mm -hmm. than that, it just isn't what it is with this other person. You know, so I don't know. That stuff is hard because I just. I've been there. I've been on the other side of it. And it's like, yeah, the, everybody's great too. I don't know. It's a, It was an odd experience. Yeah. I mean, and is the process any different for seasons two and I guess now three? Like, what is it like doing a season one of a TV show versus a season two? Oh, gosh, a, a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think for us, the main thing that was huge was we never shot a pilot episode. We, we Mm -hmm. were, we turned in a script and then we went straight to series. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I think the benefit of shooting a pilot is you shoot the one episode, then you get to stop, regroup, think about what Mm -hmm. worked, what didn't, and, and then apply that to the rest of the season. And I think for us, we sort of were just like (laughs) off to the races and didn't get to really regroup until you know, until after basically that first season was released. And so, you know, there were just things, just organizational systems, producerially and, you know, dividing work more clearly and those kinds of things Mm -hmm. that we were able to do in the second season. But sometimes I think in the first season, it just felt like we were juggling everything at the same time. And Mm -hmm. also, you know, the second season, our main cast was already cast. So it was like, the casting wasn't as extensive and difficult. It was a little more sort of like, Oh, we just need someone to pop in for this role or that role. And, and those kinds of things. So I I don't know, it was, it was a huge difference. And I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what the difference is between the third and the second (laughs) season, you know, because now I feel like we have a well-oiled machine. Right. That is sort of the fascinating thing about TV is there's never a guarantee that it will continue, but when it does, there's always a break between seasons and you're going to be different people. It's going to be a slightly different process. Right. And are, are you, as a, as a 
as a performer, as Annie, I mean, what is the difference between Annie season one and Annie season two? Where did you hope to take her? And what have you, what have you started to learn about her now that you have more time to play her? You know, I think I feel, you know, it's interesting because I feel like the first, um, the first season of Annie, it's in the show as a whole, we only had six episodes. So it's sort of, we thought of it as just like a character study. So rather than having B plots Mm -hmm. or C plots and interweaving all those things, it's just like, here are these six episodes about this one person Mm -hmm. and kind of, it's all about where she is at the beginning, where she is at the middle and where she is at the end and kind of her transformation through those things. And, and, you know, and then the thing I loved was thinking about sort of like physical ways to show those changes from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. So like in the first episode, she's stretching out her shirt and trying to make sure it doesn't cling too tightly to her body, or she wants to wear her bra during sex or things like that, where she's like Mm -hmm. sort of still got this little voice in the back of her mind. And kind of by the midpoint of the season, she's starting to see that maybe some of this is in her mind and that who cares, (laughs) you know, like who created the system that I have to care about. And then by the end of the season, she's starting to really say like, you know what, I'm not going to be sort of, uh, held by these ideals and I want to kind of do my own thing. And if that Mm -hmm. means kind of blowing up my whole life, I'll do it. And then I think in the second season, it's sort of her facing the consequences of what it is to be a person in control and, Mm -hmm. and trying to be free, but that's, uh, a hard thing to do when you've lived your whole life as uh, someone who's really tight and and scared. Mm. So, you know, and kind of by the end of season two, I think she's finally actually putting it into motion and like not just talking the talk, but starting to walk the walk a little bit. Cool. And mm-hmm. and that's what I'm excited about for season three is just to sort right. of make it like this. Um, <laughs> it's like all bets are off. Let's go, you know? Yeah. Yeah, all these kind of new chapters in her development, I guess, as a person. Yeah. Well, and it's all, I'm fascinated too by like, how much of this is personal? Is How much overlap is there? You mentioned that, of course, you really connected with this character, but you're also working with Lindy West, who's the original, I guess she's the source material. Mm-hmm. So like, what is the balance between those two, especially as the show goes on and on and on? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I kind of feel like it's neither of us now. Um, oh. and, and I, in a, in a good way, you know, yeah. uh, and I feel like it's Annie, you know, of course there's details, uh, from both of our lives, but there's also details from other writers in our writer's rooms lives. And, cool. um, and yeah, I, I feel like what's nice is she's a, I think Annie's a really nice marriage of what Lindy does well and what I do well. And, And part of that is Lindy has sort of like a a great, incredible boldness and a a really is able Mm. to like crystallize her thoughts in like one sentence. And Mm. I think the thing that I kind of bring to the character is sort of this like maybe more universal feeling that many women have, which is like I've been sort of taught to be like nice and sweet and polite and really Mm. palatable so as to make up for my body flaws or personality flaws or whatever, and trying to kind of break that sweetness and find the boldness. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that's kind of the heart of our show. Totally. That's really, I think, beautifully put that the character does sort of take on a life of its own, especially in a TV show where it's going to keep going. 
Yeah. And I, I also think it's for me, the writing and even the performing, it becomes really about finding those emblematic, tiny details that can tell you so much about a character. Mm. And it's so much better to have three heads than one trying to think of those kind of moments. And, you know, those are the moments that I think stick with a viewer. Yeah. And it helps that one of those three heads is, is you, the person who's, who's in the shoes of the character and acting it on camera. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, because I get to be in the writer's room and I help, you know, create these ideas that we're trying to convey. And then I also get to be on set and actually perform them and talk to my, you know, scene partners about here's what we're trying to say. And then to Mm. be in the edit and to be able to be like, okay, I want to use this take because I think it conveys the idea from the writer's room better. You know, it is like this sort of full circle process and to really be able to execute an idea from absolute germination to, to to flowering is like really, really nice. Yeah. The editing part of the process must be super interesting. Like that's super rare, especially for an actor to be involved in that part of the process. I mean, what, what do, what do, um, aspiring executive producers need to know about the tail end of that, of the filming process? Oh, it it is complicated because of course I'm a human being and to watch myself on screen and like have my own vanities or my own worries Mm. or insecurities come through. Um, but you know, I really, really make an effort to like set aside my own judgment of my own performance And try and think about serving the piece as a whole. So like, Mm. um, just like, and, and, you know, also just deeply relying on like my editors, their opinions on takes the, you know, also my showrunner is like, we really put our heads together about like, okay, what do you think? Yes, we both agree. It's the second take and let's shorten it and let's then Mm. put a killer song under it, you know, or whatever, like, let's cool. It's just like trying to, you're just constantly looking to strengthen the material. And that's what performance is too. And I think when you apply that to editing and, and, and writing, it's, it's all there. That is so cool. Yeah. And the other thing I really love about Shrill, like, I don't I don't know if you guys consider Portland to kind of be a character in the show, but, but me as a viewer, I don't think I've ever, I'm pretty sure I've never been to Portland, but I sort of like, (laughs) fall in love with that place from watching the show it was that like a a big part of the concept do you think of portland as a character in the show you know i I don't know if i think of portland as a character as much as i think as that like portland has truly welcomed us and Mm-hmm. I love shooting there. I just said to someone the other day, I hope that everything I ever shoot, I can shoot there. And, <laughs> and part of it is because our crew is all local to Portland. They, and this is like where Lauren uh, and working with Broadway video and SNL is like such a great gift is kind of right. As Portlandia was ending, here's this crew mm-hmm. that's been working together for eight years and has a, a great, great, like sort of just familial vibe Mm-hmm. they were finishing their work there right as we were about to start. And so we were sort of handed this amazing group of people who, who are literally Portland experts. <laughs> and so, you know, cool. we get to sort of like share in their expertise of like, Oh, you know where there's the best roller rink or, you know, where we all like to go hang out or there's this beautiful park or those kinds of things. So it's like, you know, it is because of our crew and, and because of our line producer and how, dedicated and how loving they are to their city that we get to really like see it through their eyes and to work with like so carrie brownstein was kind of part of 
that circle of Portland people who'd been filming there for years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she directed our second episode of the first season and she also had been working with our entire crew for eight years. And I still, I mean, I, I probably talk to her every couple of weeks just to check in and get her opinion on something or whatever. Mm -hmm. I I feel really grateful for Carrie and Fred because they kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, they sort of set up this model that I got to steal, which is Fred's model of being on SNL at the same time as making something that's kind of yours. Sure. Sure. It's so great that you get to do both. I think there is kind of a perception that SNL takes up all of someone's time and that taking on another project is impossible. And it kind of is. <laughs> it kind of no, is. Okay. But it is. No, no, but I mean, you work it out and it's also like, yeah. I mean, Lauren really helps. So. Right. Yeah. It's so cool to hear about this process. Thank you. This is, this is pure gold. I think especially for like, oh. you know, like it really is for, for those who, um, we're, you know, we're all about the advice when it comes to writing your own material and not just being an actor where, I mean, maybe you, you, you would agree it's a little bit more, uh, at the behest of other people's whims rather than forging yeah, your I own mean, destiny. I think, honestly, I feel like my entire career has sort of been born out of, uh, deep, like skepticism and cyn- like cynicism about, gotcha. um, about what this industry would allow me to do if I just took what was handed to me. Um, and just feeling very much like if I want to try and perform in ways that, you know, that maybe the world doesn't see me as I'm going to have to write it myself. Right. And I hope that's not the case forever, but thus far it kind of has been. (laughs) So I, you know, I, I, I kind of have taken on the challenge and and really enjoyed it, but it is like, if you're not getting the parts that you want or uh, would love to be considered for it, I I do think it's like, it's up to you to make it. Totally. Maybe especially now, like uh, quarantining at home with a lot of free time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you, Eddie. This is great. I, can I ask you some very, maybe not silly, but some very backstagey questions (laughs) yeah please not quite rapid fire but oh my god first of all (laughs) were you ever familiar with backstage like did you ever maybe use it in chicago yeah i definitely like checked it out and i feel like just like i was saying like when i was in arizona i had like no understanding of the industry so i think i i would like to go read it to try and figure out what how does this work (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's also interesting to hear like i feel like maybe there's two different camps and as an early career artist is either you're super like optimistic and driven and and ready to be like, I can really do this and overcome the odds. Or there's like maybe the route that you took, which was a little bit more like realism and a little bit more like skepticism about, (laughs) about the odds and working from there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I don't know, you know, I I grew up in the nineties and I did feel like a lot of the people I saw on TV looked the same. Yes, And so, uh, I felt conscious that like, it didn't look like the world I was living in. And so, you know, I think that stuck with me Yeah, and I definitely did have like a, you know, uh, like a Chicago agent who I met with tell me like, well, you're not really castable and the things you are castable are there. It's very narrow, you know? And of course that's the kind of thing that lights a fire under me and is like, yeah, well, you. Um, totally. you know, so, so rather than, so that was never discouraging to hear that. 
it was totally discouraging, but I was also like, I don't think you're right. I think you're wrong. And I think I can, I'm going to keep moving, you know? So almost out of spite. (laughs) Yes, probably totally out of spite. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, whatever motivates you. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Thank you. Um, Okay. These questions. We like to ask these backstage questions. I don't know. Uh, One is like, (laughs) how did you get your SAG card? Do you remember? Oh, now this is this is really telling. I think for SNL, <laughs> that was my first <gasps> time on camera. No way. Yeah, I had only done stage stuff, and I had never that's been on really camera cool. in any capacity. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, that's actually SNL is just such a strange case in so many different in so many ways. Like Eddie Murphy has said that the only audition he's ever done ever was for SNL. <laughs> That's amazing. And then after that is set. It's so weird. <laughs> okay. Well, that didn't happen for me. So No. <laughs> That's no, that so never, cool though. Never happens. Yeah. Um, okay. What is what is one performance that every actor should see and why? Film, TV, oh comedy, gosh. anything. Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay. Wow. Tough tough to choose. Okay. Well, my first performance thought was Natasha Leone in Russian Doll. I just rewatched it. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm close with her, so I'm biased, but I just think what she made was brilliant. And she's totally. so good. And she's, I mean, I've also been very lucky. She directed an episode of Shrill. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's someone who's been in the business for a very long time and has incredible amounts of perspective on it. And mm. I just think it's all there in her show. And um, yeah. I, I think it's brilliant. It's like, a, especially as a piece of like, you know, written, produced and performed by her is it's yes. a big. Wow. Yeah. Um, fabulous SNL sketch. Gosh, there's millions. I could never <laughs> choose, but I, yeah. you know, I love watching Kate. I think she's truly one of the greats of all time sketch performers. And yes. I especially love watching her do that. Um, alien abduction sketch, which I I know people love because we break, but she is like, (laughs) she's otherworldly in that. Do you have like a favorite recurring character or a favorite um, sketch that you've done that you've done recently? Oh gosh. You know, it's like always changing there. I Mm -hmm. I'll be like, Oh, I love doing this. And then I'm like, no, I actually love doing these. And now I hate doing that. (laughs) But um, I don't know. Lately I've been really enjoying I don't know. I guess maybe it started partially this season and now I guess it's forced through coronavirus, but, um, I really enjoyed like making short little videos with the show. Like I did one with Harry Mm. Styles, uh, where he called Joan, where he played like my dog, who's my (laughs) boyfriend. And I did one called overnight salad recently, which is Uh just an insane woman who's making a salad overnight with Daniel Craig and our last show that we did normally. And, (laughs) Um, I don't know. I've just been having fun, like kind of almost like a teeny tiny little short film, creating a little world and, yeah. and making, making a little zone of stuff. It's <laughs> cool. That's, that's fun to hear. Um, okay. Another backstage question of, I mean, we've talked about the auditions, but do you have like a go-to worst audition horror story? Oh gosh. I, I will say before I, like when I lived in Chicago, I got sent out for, I think it was a Walmart commercial and 
it was the part was for a mother of three who was like exhausted shopping around Walmart or something. And I was 22 (laughs) and, um, but I think because I was like plus size, they were like, yeah, she can audition. (laughs) And so I got there and like, everyone was in their mid, you know, like early forties. And then I was also there and I, I just remember being like, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. This seems insane. And then when we got in there, they were like, right away, we're like, you're no, this is bad. You know? So that was a bad one. (laughs) It's a, it's a question of type. You got to know, you got to know type. Yeah. I know. And I was like, okay, this is hurting my feelings, but I can't put my finger on why, (laughs) you know? Yes. Yeah. I think those kinds of stories honestly affect women more. I mean, women have more of those stories than men do. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. Last question. What is, what is the, the number one piece of advice that you would give your younger self? If you could go back in time and tell your maybe second city version of yourself, something. Mm, Probably worry less. I Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I always felt like I wasn't doing enough. And now I look back and I was like, man, I was working so hard. You know, I mean, I I don't know why Mm. I was punishing myself so hard. Um, and you know, also just, I look back on those second city days and like, it was just pure creative expression without, uh, much worry about, you know, network or any of that stuff. And I, I wish I could enjoy that, could have enjoyed that more or understand how truly free I was to write and make whatever I wanted. The early stage of one's career is anything's possible, right? That's right. Yeah. What could be better? What could be better? It is hard to relax and enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, of course. Cause you're like, I should be doing everything else, but should, it's kind of yeah. enough. Yeah. It's enough. Yeah. Yeah. We're all just doing what we can. We're all just, it's enough. <laughs> yes. Totally. Absolutely. Be nice to yourself. Yeah. That's great advice too. Gosh. Thank you, Adie. This, is, <laughs> this has been really fun. Yeah. Thank you. Such yeah. insightful, thoughtful questions. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Uh, do you have any parting words of wisdom for listeners of this podcast? Oh gosh, I guess you've really covered um, it all. Don't be a, don't be a monster in audition waiting rooms. <laughs> That's my oh. final word of advice. <laughs> like uh, monsters to the other auditioners or. Yeah. You know, just be respectful. I feel like sometimes people are popping off in those spaces, you know, <laughs> they're so stressed. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good tip. Okay, cool. Wise words. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you, Adi. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Grau Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? 
Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.